We've produced a new CD of two sermons preached by Pastor Todd Wilkin, one for Lent and one for Easter. And we'll send you this new CD for any size donation during the season of Lent. You can donate online, issuesetc.org, or by check, Lutheran Public Radio, Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. And for any size gift between now and April 12th, we'll send you a CD of one of Todd's Lent and Easter sermons. I never once went to a meeting, never once issued a statement, never once uh, even uh, gave an endorsement in the two years Prop 8 was going. Let me just say this really clearly. We support Proposition 8. And if you believe what the Bible says about marriage, you need to support Proposition 8. When a university invites somebody for an honorary degree, for a commencement speaker, what you are really saying to the students is, this man, we agree with him, we hold him up as a model to you. The battles that we fought in the 80s, conflicts with the culture, humanly speaking, we have lost all those battles. Thank you for providing theology for clerical collar, white collar, and blue collar. Well, they say it's good for the soul. Confession. Although I dare say many Christians aren't familiar with what Christian confession actually is. They would think, well, there's this little booth in the local Roman Catholic Church where the priest sits for a couple hours a day and maybe one or two old ladies will wander in. Maybe a few of the uh, of the uh, confirmands will wander in because they have to, or the occasional Catholic who's slid back and feeling guilty. Is that the picture of confession that is that has prevailed in the Christian church from the time when Christ spoke the words to his disciples on Easter evening, by the way, John 20, whoever sins you retain, they are retained. Whoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And he gave that promise and that authority with the Holy Spirit itself. So confession must be a big deal if the very first thing Jesus wants to talk about after he's raised from the dead is confessing and forgiving sins. So how has it fallen into disuse in the church today? We're going to talk about confession and absolution. It's our Thursday's Pastors Roundtable this Thursday afternoon, the 16th of April. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. After this Pastors Roundtable, Bill Murchison will join us in the second hour. We'll talk about the crisis of mainline Christianity, especially as it is epitomized in the Episcopal Church USA, but it's just a symptom of a greater problem in mainline Christianity. Colleen Carol Campbell will join us to talk about reproductive technologies and children's rights. Do you hear this story about a woman whose 21-year-old son was tragically killed outside a bar? Not only did she donate his organs to science, but she has retained some of his sperm. She wants to find a surrogate to serve as a mother for her own grandchild, grandchild whose father would be her dead 21-year-old son. That's what technology can do for us today, but should it? And then we'll talk about gay marriage with Dr. Albert Moeller in the last 10 minutes of the program. Our call in number 1-877-623-6943, 877-623-MIIE, or you can email us right here in the studio, talkback at issuesetc.org. Joining us for our Pastors Roundtable from Oak Park, Illinois, Pastor Robert Niehaus. He's pastor of Christ Lutheran Church there in Oak Park. Bob, welcome back. Todd, thank you very much for the invite, and uh, a joyous Easter tide to you. And to you as well. 
Here in studio, Pastor Randy Asbury, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Randy, thanks for coming over. You bet. Good to be with you again. And driving a little farther up from the Missouri side, Pastor Charlie Henriksen, pastor of St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. Charlie, welcome. Thank you, Todd. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. First, since we're basing our discussions here, as we have with these pastors' roundtables for weeks now, on the Augsburg Confession, the seminal confession of the Lutheran Reformation. Randy, I want to give you an opportunity just to introduce those who are listening to this document itself in a general way. Uh, in other words, what is the Augsburg Confession? Exactly. Why do we uh, follow it? Well, the Augsburg Confession is basically the backbone for uh, our, our Lutheran teaching and, and understanding of uh, theology and the Scriptures. It, it's, it's the document that was... Um, confessed before Emperor Charles V in the year 1530. After several years of Luther's work and Melanchthon's work and, and work of many others, the princes of, of uh, that part of Europe, uh, basically Germany today, uh, said, we're going to confess before the emperor what we believe and teach. And so uh, uh, Philip Melanchthon actually uh, is the main author of the document, and the princes are confessing this before the emperor, saying, here's what we believe and teach in our countries, in our, in our precincts, our states, if you will. And it has become, as I said, the backbone of our Lutheran confession. If you want to know what Lutherans believe and teach and how they practice, go to the Augsburg Confession. That's your number one spot. And even other places in the, the Book of Concord will say, we're only telling you what the Augsburg Confession has already said. We're just explaining it a little bit more here and there. Well, the article that forms the basis for our conversation today is Article 11 of the Augsburg Confession. We're also going to do a little work in, in 25, which also deals with confession as well. But this Article 11 is very short. I have a question about it. It says, Our churches teach that private absolution should be retained in the churches, although a listing of all sins is not necessary for confession. For according to the psalm, it is impossible who can discern his errors? They quote Psalm nineteen twelve. Charlie, why do the original reformers here simply assume private confession and absolution, as opposed to what most Christians, if they're familiar with it at all, are familiar with, and that is kind of a public and corporate confession of sins and absolution? Because this was the form of confession that was universally practiced across Christendom up to that point. Um, I should also mention, along with what Randy said about the purpose of the Augsburg Confession, it was to show that what these Lutheran territories and churches were teaching and practicing was nothing new or novel, but was in the mainstream of Christian history and should not be lumped in with more radical reformers who had uh, thrown out practices that the Lutherans kept. And so this uh, Article 11 in conf on confession is in the section of the Augsburg Confession that says we're just doing what the church has always done. When we get to Article 25, they will talk about uh, certain abuses they have corrected with the practice of confession. At this point in Article 11, they're just saying we have not gotten rid of what has been universally practiced across Christendom. They do if, if I may, I yeah. would like to add to that that this Article 11 is in the doctrinal articles. This is the Lutheran saying, here's what we believe, here's our doctrine. And, and notice it's about this great practice called confession and absolution. But it is part of our doctrine, our teaching, that we have confession and absolution. So it's one of those things like baptism of the Lord's Supper. It is a yes. doctrine, mm -hmm. but 
it is also of necessity a practice. Yes. The two are always intertwined, doctrine and practice. And the article says our churches teach, that's doctrine, the private absolution should be retained, that's practice. Oh, Pastor Niehaus, they say um, a full enumeration of sins is not necessary. That seems kind of odd to us today that there would have been a teaching or would be a teaching where someone has to confess every single solitary sin they've ever done. What are they speaking to there, Pastor Niehaus? Well, one one of the things that we speak of in our in our confession of faith, and I got to say, today being able to join you men uh, from a long distance is is uh, uh, in part certainly because we are of the same confession. That this Augsburg Confession unites us, and we have vowed to this uh, with our subscription to this confession. But in answer to your question, what we're talking about here is the. Uh, uh, the, the the author of the uh, of of the confession spoke against this uh, numeration of sins that we had to for it to be true and sincere we had to list every sin that we have committed against God uh, when when in fact we as Lutherans would say you know we we continue to sin against God in thought word and deed and there's no way we can possibly list every one of them. But what we can do is submit entirely to the Lord, confessing all sins before him. All right. What would it have looked like at the time of the Reformation? What actual practice were they saying, we retain this? And they're going to repeat that again in the 25th article. We retain this. We will not allow this to fall into disuse. What did it actually look like at the time, Randy? You mean the right or uh, yeah. how, how you went through it? If you were a, if you were a, one of these princes or or uh, someone at one of these churches under the influence of the Lutheran Reformation, and your pastor says we practice private confession and absolution, what is he talking about? Well, there's a great little woodcut uh, from the Reformation mm-hmm. times showing Luther going to confession himself. So so it's a great uh, little piece, and and what he's doing is he's kneeling at what certainly looks like the communion rail around an altar. And uh, I forget who it is who's, who's his father confessor on the other side who's depicted there, um, but, but Luther's there kneeling at the communion rail, and somebody is either sitting or standing, as I recall, uh, right there listening to his confession. But it looks like Luther is kind of speaking into this other pastor's ear as he's confessing his sins. So it's a churchly act, and, and if you want to know uh, some details on, on how it would go, look at the small catechism. Luther gives an example Mm-hmm. of how the ritual would go. Very simple. Um, uh, father or pastor, hear my confession. And proceed, go ahead, and then uh, talk about the sins. I've, I've sinned against my wife, I've sinned against my daughter, my manservant, whatever, and I ask God's forgiveness, and then the pastor would simply say, you're forgiven in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. Or you know, A different formula can be used, but that's essentially what would happen in private confession and absolution. Okay, when we come back from this break, I want to talk about the foil to that, which is as soon as they're finished saying this is a practice that we want to retain without the infinite enumeration of sins or the complete enumeration of sins, there are some abuses prevailing in the Western Church that the Reformers are deeply concerned about, and they think these abuses are so serious they need to be excised from the practice itself for the practice to be retained. We're talking about confession— based upon the Augsburg Confession, Confession of Sins and Absolution. Our pastor's roundtable this Thursday afternoon. 
Pastor Robert Niehaus of Christ Lutheran Church in Oak Park, Illinois, is on the phone with us. And here in the studio, Pastor Randy Asbury of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Louis and Pastor Charlie Hendrickson of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bon Terre, Missouri. Our call-in number, one 623 6943 or talk back at issuesetc.org. I'm sorry, so sorry. On behalf of the staff of Issues Etc., thanks to the more than 7,600 who signed the online petition to bring Issues Etc. back. Pete Peterson, Pastor Benjamin Matten, Michael Hopkins, Lori Hens, Zach Stegman, Jason Stegman, Wayne Whitmer, James Orr, and Katrina Hopkins. Thanks for your support. We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while relentlessly focusing on the gospel. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rod Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn Radio Program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, or Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. And be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. For sinners only. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Stephen Parks, on why your congregation should join the Issues Etc. 300. If I could, I'd just like to challenge any Lutheran pastors that are listening to consider becoming one of the congregations that supports Issues Etc. My own congregation is a very small church. And uh, I know it can be difficult to try and budget $1,000 a year to become one of the issues, etc., 300. But if you're being blessed by this, as I know you are, and if your congregation is being blessed by this, as I know that it is, I submit to bring it to the congregation to prayerfully consider supporting the outreach of issues, etc., not only here in the United States, but also around the world. Thank you so much for what you do. Please consider adding the worldwide outreach of issues, etc., to your congregation's mission or advertising budget, simply go to the Promote page of our website, issuesetc.org. We're looking for 300 congregations to donate $1,000 to Issues Etc., the Issues Etc. 300. You know, the time comes when a wise man knows the best thing that he can do. It's just look her in the eye and beg for mercy and face the bitter truth. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our Pastor's Roundtable this Thursday afternoon, the 16th of April. Our call-in number, 1-877-623-6943, 877-623-MY-IE, or talk back at issuesetc.org. Pastor Newhouse, what does it mean to confess? I mean, what, we've talked about a little bit about what the right would look like, but what does it mean for a Christian to confess their sins? Confessing sins for the Christian is the life of a Christian. Every day and each day begins with confession of sin. It's acknowledging before God that you have violated his laws and his commands, that he is the one who has supreme authority and the authority to judge and to forgive. And to be in that position is, is uh, a very humbling act by the Christian, but indeed it's something that we live day in and day out. It is, it is to acknowledge before God that he is 
God, and you are not. All right. Uh, gentlemen, I'm wondering, back to the enumeration of many sins, what sins are to be confessed? What's in view here for the Reformers when they say it's not necessary to name all your sins? It's impossible. No one can. So what am I to confess? I, I would go back to the uh, small catechism. Luther asked that exact question. What sin should we confess? And what does he say? Before God, we plead guilty of all sins. Uh, but before the pastor, we plead guilty of those sins which we know and feel in our hearts. So there's a distinction running here. Yes, we're always confessing all of our sins before God. But before that human person, that pastor that God has given us, we confess those sins we know and feel. Uh, to, to build on, on uh, what was said before, we, we say the same thing God's saying. That's what confess really means. We're saying what God has already said uh, through his word, his scriptures, through, through the message of, of the gospel uh, proclaimed and, and heard by us, that we are sinners, and we sin in specific ways. So we agree with God. Yes, God, I've sinned there. Yes, I, I uh, despised my boss. I, I didn't, um, di- didn't take care of my family the way I should have or, or something like that. I cheated on my income taxes or what have you. We, we confess those specific things because they go against what God teaches in his word. You know, we Lutherans are very ready to uh, confess that we are poor, miserable sinners. We say that all the time. I, a poor, miserable sinner. Well, the reality is that poor, miserable sinners do poor, miserable sins. Uh, And those take specific form in what we do and in what we fail to do. Sins of commission and sins of omission, sins in thought, word, and deed, uh, and to examine our lives uh, in light of the Ten Commandments. That's, if you want to find some sins to confess, uh, just go down the list of the Ten Commandments and say, how have I kept this or failed to keep it? So uh, the, the uh, previous host of this, of this program, Don Matzett, used to say, sins have names. There's no such thing as generic sin. I mean, there's sinfulness as a condition. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're talking here in Confession about naming our sins. Is that right? Yes. Yes, being honest with yourself and agreeing with what God says about these things. Where do we find this? Give us a few Bible passages that should form the foundation. I mentioned John 20, Christ's giving the authority to his disciples on Easter evening for the forgiveness of the retaining of sins. But where else will we find this in Scripture, Charlie? Uh, I look at uh, 1 John Oh, about the about the the authority to forgive sins. The well, the authority to forgive sins, and where we would find um, general scripture passages regarding confessing sins as well. Okay, first about the need or or that we have sins to confess. Um, I look at First John one, pretty familiar passage. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there uh, we're saying that uh, we do have sins to confess. Jesus taught as much in the Lord's Prayer uh, when in the same breath we can say, give us this day our daily bread. In the next breath we say, and forgive us our trespasses. It's implying that as often as you can say, give us this day our daily bread, you can also say as much as saying, uh, uh, and forgive us this day our daily sins. Well, and to follow up on that, brother, it's, you know, when, when, you, when we look and we receive the joy of knowing that God will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, 
we, we also hear, if we follow along in Scripture, that if we claim to not have sin, that we are making God out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. That if we come to him not acknowledging, not confessing, not seeing our sin, that we are indeed making God out to be a liar. Then do you, Pastor Niehaus, do you practice private confession? Absolutely. Private confession is a gift that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to his church. And there, today, I believe, in our church culture, many, as you know, as you men know, have lost an appreciation for private confession. The most precious words when we practice private confession and absolution that can come from a pastor's mouth are those words, do you believe that the word of Christ's forgiveness I speak to you is from the Lord himself? And so when people privately come to confession, my experience has been is they're not coming under the legalities that the Church of Rome has placed on their parishioners. But these are people that are coming who have broken consciences, who are burdened with the guilt and, and the remorse for having violated God's law. And they need to hear that precious word of absolution from Jesus Christ himself. Pastor Asbury, has it ever happened to you that someone comes into your study and, and says, Pastor, I need some counseling? And they come for a talk, maybe some catharsis and some advice. And you end up in the course of that conversation saying, what you really need is to confess your sins and have me absolve them for Christ's sake. Oh, let me count the ways. Yes, <laughs> yes, that happens quite often when somebody somebody will want to talk to the pastor because they have a, a problem, they just don't know how to get out of a situation they're in, or uh, they had an argument with their spouse that morning or the week before, whatever the case is. And in the course of conversation, something will come up. That, that makes me think, okay, there's a sin to confess here. Uh, and, and so, yes, I'll recommend that. And, and I, I, too, practice private confession absolution, but I will not force it on them. I'll, I'll recommend them, recommend it and say, you may want to confess your sins. You, you may want the joy of the absolution. Uh, and then leave it in, in, their, uh, in their court, so to speak, their decision, do they want to do that? And, and that's that's what I believe precisely separates us from what's happening in the Church of Rome when it is placed as a burden on the individual, where when, when mandatory private confession uh, must take place within the course of 12 months if one is to remain a good, solid Catholic, if you will. Um, you know, we do not burden men's consciences with this, but certainly pastors of the Aug- Augsburg Confession know that this is a gift and absolution is received through through this gift. Now, Todd, you mentioned about when it goes from counseling to confession and absolution. It can also work the other way around, uh, going from confession and absolution to what we might call counseling, where the parishioner may want some encouragement or be open to that or help in how to deal with a besetting sin or uh, that you may know other passages of Scripture that will be helpful for him. Now, what we are careful to do is to not make his forgiveness conditional on uh, an intent to, uh, on plans to amend his life or, or, or something like that. The, the, the forgiveness is free, but that sinner may want some help or encouragement in then amending his life. Okay, then, um, it sounds as though this, is, this should be the most natural thing of all, 
for Christians and their pastors to do. Why is it that I could probably go to, I mean, just to speak of Lutheran churches, I could probably go to a hundred Lutheran churches and ask their pastors and find one or two, maybe a few more, that actually practice this or make this available to their people? I can I can give you a couple quick reasons. One is it is foreign to people. They haven't grown up with it. They think it's Roman Catholic. Um, first, the pastor needs to teach on this and not force it down anybody's throat. But even uh, when you make it available and you post hours during Lent or something like that, I think the biggest fear in my observation is that people th- will think it will change their dynamic, their relationship with their pastor. That if they actually confess their dirty sins to the pastor, that he won't be their buddy anymore. Pastor Asbury, we're going into a break with about a minute. Could your parishioners tell you anything in in the course of confession that would surprise you? Absolutely not. In fact, that's what I tell them, <clears throat> whether I'm teaching them for the first time or it comes up in a conversation. I say, you know, nothing you do or think or say will ever surprise me. Why? Because they're sinners just like I am, mm-hmm. and I know what's in me. Uh, in fact, you ask why people don't practice it. Well, kind of like men not going to the doctor. They don't want to admit they're sick. We as sinners do not want to admit we are sick with sin, and therefore we forego the, the healing medicine. And, and so, you know, will they surprise me? No, absolutely not. But they think it might change the dynamics of our pastor-parishioner relationship. Well, okay, does it? Does it change it for the worse or for the better, with only about 20 seconds here? Perhaps in their perception it does. I I try to tell them, no, it does not change it for me. I I will not think any lower of you. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I know you're a sinner. I know you have these impulses, these urges, these sins that will come out. It's not going to surprise me. All right, when we come back from this break, 25 more minutes with our Pastors Roundtable this Thursday afternoon, April the 16th. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're listening to Issues Etc. We're talking about confession and absolution. Stay tuned. Real Reformation Radio, you're listening to Issues Etc. On behalf of the staff of Issues Etc., thanks to each and every one of the more than 7,600 who signed the online petition to bring back Issues Etc. Mike Brown, Paul Michael Smith, Jacqueline Lomax, Priscilla Bunker, Sherry Moore, Denise Rawl, Bethany Richeson, Christopher Crowe, Paul Kremel, and Aaron Pierce. Thanks for your support. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, Executive Director of Life Issues Institute. God bless Rick Perry, the governor of Texas. He's declared April Abortion Recovery Awareness Month. This means he's emphasizing the emotional effects abortion has on its victims while also acknowledging the babies who are killed. The governor signed a declaration specifically mentioning the mothers, fathers, and other involved family members who emotionally struggle with the after effects of abortion. Stop to think. One out of every four pregnancies in America ends in abortion. Everywhere you go, including church, you're interacting with people who've been directly affected by an abortion decision. The proclamation also points out these grieving parents 
can find help and healing. If you're one of them, contact me at lifeissues.org. I'll locate free help in your community. Life Issues. Stay informed. More informed than you've ever been. If you're interested in hanging around with a bunch of powerful men that further one another's careers, I guess you can meet Fred and Barney down at the Loyal Order of Water Buffalo. Stress is your problem, and those 40, 50 hours a week are killing you, and that cubicle's driving you nuts. Perhaps you should buy Joel Osteen's book and read it. If you're interested in Lutheran doctrine and practice and how we can spread that to our communities, check us out, Brothers of John the Steadfast, www.steadfastlutherans.com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's our Pastor's Roundtable talking about confession. Pastor Robert Niehaus, Pastor Randy Asbury, and Pastor Charlie Henriksen are here in the studio. Niehaus is actually up in Oak Park, Illinois, near Chicago, but through the miracle of telephone, he's able to be here at our roundtable as well. Our call-in number, if you'd like to join us, we've got 25 more minutes, one 877 my ie or you can email us right here in the studio with questions or comments. Talk back at issuesetc.org. We've talked about, just before the break, the hesitancy of people to practice this, even when it's offered, because they fear that it will somehow sour the relationship with their pastor or change it forever. I would contend it actually changes it for the better. Um, it actually bonds the pastor and his parishioner together in a way that that uh, that is, in, in many ways, the way that the relationship really ought to be. That's the relationship they should have with one another. Laying that aside, another concern people might have is that what they say privately to their pastor would get repeated someplace else. Charlie, talk about the seal of the confessional. When we were ordained, we took a solemn oath before God never to divulge the sins confessed to us. This is absolutely sacred and may not ever be violated on pain of uh, being removed from office. Uh, I cannot talk about the sins confessed to me with anyone else, not even my wife, not the elders. Um, uh, And not even fellow pastors. Not even fellow pastors. In fact, I tell my parishioners, when you confess your sins to me, my ears become a graveyard. And, uh, and that is how I try to maintain also then my relationship with them. Uh, in fact, if, if there's a temptation for me, it would be not to think less of parishioners who come to confession. The temptation would be to think more of them, and I can't do that either. <laughs> Pastor Niehaus, Someone comes and confesses a sin. This is the next question that always follows upon the seal of the confessional. That is, someone comes and confesses a sin that has consequences beyond their their own life or their own sphere, their family or something like that. They may confess something to you that is that they have done that is illegal. They may have confessed something like murder uh, or something like that. And the question always comes up, well, yes, there's the seal on the confessional for your everyday garden variety sins, but when you get into the big leagues, the pastor might be tempted to turn the person in. What do you do? That cannot happen, Todd. You know, I'll echo what the brother said a moment ago. The pastor's ears are a tomb. What goes in in private confession and absolution is never to be repeated or discussed 
with any human being. Uh, you know, this, this is part of the problem, I think, that we have in our own church body today with the lack of private confession and absolution. Number one, uh, you know, people in general, because of things that have transpired in our society and culture over the last years, uh, have a lack of trust in clergy. We've all heard, well, he's a man like any other man. Why do I need to tell a man my sins when I can confess my sins to God? The sins we're speaking of here are sins that a Christian may confess to God, but daily being pestered by Satan is burdened with the guilt of this sin. But again, I must, in answer to your question, say, even the most heinous of crimes that are committed, a pastor cannot absolutely, under any circumstance, go and repeat that to another person. Now, what a pastor may do is clearly dividing the holy absolution that comes from Christ, and then in counseling say that there are things that, uh, that can be done. In other words, you know, there are, there are ramifications for our sin. But uh, to, to, to go beyond that ordination vow has been said here today already, and, and, and simply go to law enforcement or go to the local officials, even if the crime seems so distasteful and heinous, it still cannot be revealed, ever. I think a lot of it depends on the pastor <clears throat> teaching the absolution properly. Uh, the pastor does not have to go to the authorities if, if somebody commits murder. What the pastor can do is suggest to that person, okay, now that you have been forgiven, now that God does not hold that sin against you, and it's not on your account, if you want to put it that way, you are free to go turn yourself in. Amen. You are free to uh, face the consequences, to, to have justice um, uh, run its course with you. And, and that is... Uh, the way that the pastor wants to handle some of those major kinds of things. You're free to take care of this yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've even heard one brother pastor tell the story of he did that with a person. The person wanted to go turn himself in, and the pastor said, I'll accompany you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's what a pastor can do, go and, and hold the person's hand while they're turning themselves in or something so they know that, yes, even as I'm turning myself in for my crime— I still stand forgiven before God. All right. Um, we've talked here about the pastor being the primary speaker of the forgiveness here. And we've talked about several of the passages wherein Christ authorizes the forgiveness of sins by his disciples. Where do we make the connection biblically between Christ generally authorizing that the forgiveness of sins be practiced in his church and Christ specifically authorizing his pastors to be the ones to speak that forgiveness, to actually say, I forgive you all your sins. Charlie. There are three passages in the Gospels in which Christ institutes what we call the office of the keys. And, and I'll just give you the chapters, Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and John 20. And basically we call it the office of the keys because Jesus there tells either Peter or the apostles uh, or his church as a whole, uh, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Whatsoever sins ye remit, they are remitted. Um, and so we talk about the binding and the loosing keys uh, to either bind someone's sins onto them. Picture it like 
uh, chains on somebody's shoulders, either to retain them, that is saying your sins are not forgiven if they are impenitent, or to loose them from the weight and the burden and the guilt of those sins by, and this is what we want to do, this is our goal, is to speak that freeing word of forgiveness. That is what we call the loosing key. Okay. Um, well, if you're looking for more uh, yeah, go ahead. scripture passages, I, I would say that pastors are simply doing what Jesus himself has done. Uh, th- think of when uh, the, the Jesus is calling his uh, disciples, in, in Luke chapter 5 it is, and they're, they're out fishing and they get this great catch of fish, and, and then Peter realizes, it's, you know, here's Jesus who, who made it happen. And what does he do? He falls down on his knees and says, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. What does Jesus do there? He absolves him. He says, get up, Peter. I'm not holding that sin against you. Oh, we could think of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, that that she has been caught, she's uh, been an adulteress, and Jesus forgives her and says, now go and sin no more. Uh, So Jesus was doing this his whole ministry, and then when he gives the passages on the office of the keys, he's telling his apostles, and then by extension pastors after them, you're doing the same thing I've been doing. Let me give you one more. It's the story of the lowering of the paralytic through the roof. You find this in Matthew 9, where Jesus says, uh, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus' opponents were offended at that. They didn't think he could say that. And so Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he validates that by by raising the man up. And uh, the crowd is amazed, and they glorify God who had given such authority to men. And then Jesus authorizes his apostles, to do the same thing, to forgive sins. We've got a few minutes here. Pastor Asbury, someone uh, emailed us. This was probably years ago, after we'd talked about confession and absolution on the air. And this person, a member of a Lutheran church somewhere, I don't remember where, said, you know, I've heard this stuff, and, and it sounded like something I'd never heard before, but it sounded like something that I really needed. So I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I'd like you to hear my confession. And my pastor kind of laughed at me and said, well, I don't really do that. You might go to this pastor down the street for that, but I don't really do that. What does someone do if their pastor won't hear their confession? Well, uh, first of all, pray. Uh, It is a very sad, sad time when a lot of our pastors don't know what confession and absolution is or what it's all about or the great treasure it is. It's also very sad when, when a, a parishioner will come up to their pastor and be turned away. You know, don't you know, don't bother me with that, or or I'm not equipped for that. But now pray. But also uh, maybe the the person could remind the pastor of his ordination vow, as uh, we heard before. You know that the pastor does make a vow to never divulge the sins confessed to him. Well, that implies he's going to be hearing confessions. And I would add, if the parishioner uh, runs into a pastor who says he doesn't know how to do it, I'd, I would say to the parishioner, take your hymnal, your Lutheran service book, and say, here, pastor, turn to page 292 in LSB for the form of individual confession and absolution. Here, you just read the parts in the uh, in the regular print. I'll do the parts in the bold print. It's pretty easy. Well, script in front of him. You guys are far far more kind than I would be. I would say if that happened, I would say it's time for that man to find a new church. Yeah, that's that's my that's my go to advice. When you have a pastor who won't preach the gospel, a pastor who won't hear your confession, 
a pastor who is in all senses uh, kind of useless to you because he's not doing what he's called to do, find a different church. It's the quickest solution, although that's not always the well, easiest. It may be the quickest solution, but it, it may be the quickest solution, but is it really helping that pastor do his job as pastor? Okay, that's a good question. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk about the abuses that the Reformers wanted to rid confession of before they could retain the practice. Stay tuned. These guilty hands are raised, filthy rags are all I bring, and I have come to hide beneath your wings. We've interviewed four members of the President's Council on Bioethics since President Obama announced his decision to allow federal funding of embryonic stem cell research. Dr. Robert George. In all the talk about curing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease and so forth, who shuffles off the stage is the victim, the tiny embryonic human being who will now be sacrificed, treated as disposable research material. Dr. Gilbert Mylander. Science itself always has moral agendas at work. It's not as if it's value-free. If we suppose that it's entirely neutral with respect to moral questions, it's not. Dr. William Hurlbut. Bottom line is whether we as a society are going to endorse the instrumental use of human life at its earliest stages in scientific research. And Dr. Leon Cass. He simply said, I think this is the right thing to do. I respect your opinion, but there was no argument other than cures will be forthcoming. That's an argument that only shows a very shallow understanding of the moral question. Defending life from beginning to end, issues, etc. To Lutheran for a Lutheran radio station. You're listening to Issues Etc. Are you looking for a Christ-centered, cross-focused church? Check out the new Find a Church page at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Find a Church. Are you tired of worship that's more about self-help than the Savior, the Christian rather than the Christ, and the Christ in you instead of Christ for you? It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. Find a church near you. Issuesetc.org. Click Find a Church. On behalf of the staff of Issues Etc., thanks to each and every one of the more than 7,600 who signed the online petition to bring back Issues Etc. Baron Sawyer, Judy Lynn King, Don Renfro, David Strelo, Gene Zier, Kathleen Hart, Daniel Kirk, Jane Crisman, Leonard Miller, and Pete Bass. Thanks for your support. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about confession. It strikes me that all three of the pastors in our roundtable this Thursday afternoon are members, uh, their congregations are members of the Issues Etc. 300. Christ Lutheran Church in Oak Park, where Pastor Niehaus is serving there. Hope Church in uh, St. Louis, where Pastor Asbury is. And St. Matthew's Lutheran Church in Bonterre. All three of them are members of the Issues Etc. 300. It's a group of congregations that are banding together to help support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by including Issues Etc. in their annual budget, wherever they want to put it in their budget, as long as it goes in the budget, to the tune of $1,000 or more. We call them the Issues Etc. 300. It's a backbone of the support of this radio outreach. You can find out more about how your congregation can become a member 
of the Issues Etc. 300 by going to our website, issuesetc.org, click Promote. You'll find there a flyer that you can print out and give to your pastor or to your board of elders and ask them to consider your congregation becoming part of the Issues Etc. 300. And thanks to each and every one of you, our guests, for your work in helping your congregations join the Issues Etc. 300. You're certainly welcome. And we're happy for it, every single last one of them. Ten more minutes left for your phone calls and your email on Confession and Absolution, one 877 or talk back at issuesetc.org. Ken in Orlando, Florida, emails us with this question, and I'll give this one to, to uh, Pastor Niehaus. Should children be encouraged to confess to a pastor, or should the father stand in the place of the pastor and hear the child's confession? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I would certainly, well, first off, I want to say we acknowledge that father is the head of the household in, in his home and, and uh, over his family. Um, I would have a difficulty recommending the child confessing to his father rather than his pastor because it could blur the authority that both have been given. They've been given different authority, and yet they are there to work together. So in answer, in a, in a short answer, I would teach that young man or young woman to have a relationship with their pastor and, and know that pastor has been given as a gift to them and to Christ's church to hear their sin. Yeah, it's really not an either-or. Uh, I mean, the, the child can, certainly can confess to his father, uh, even since the father is done, but the child also is a baptized child of God and therefore uh, can confess to, to his pastor as well. So it's really not an either-or. Is it is part of this, Charlie, uh, what we—I um, always go come back to St. Paul's words. When I was a child, I thought, spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I acted and reasoned like a child. There are things that we— um, in child's piety, we permit in the church that that we expect them to grow out of. Silly little action songs. We have our children learn these songs because this is how children learn. Simple uh, ditties, if you will. And we eventually say to them, it's time to grow up and sing and pray, sing and, pray and worship like an adult. And is part of this what we may permit informally in the home as opposed to growing up into the practice of the church. What are your thoughts there? I think sometimes it's the other way. I think sometimes adults layer their thinking with so many, like an onion layers, uh, and the child might be struck to the conscience more quickly and uh, <laughs> than, than the adult. Uh, I, I'm not sure about that. Would it be helpful for the father simply when the child comes confessing sins to to jump in the car and take the child to confession and absolution to the pastor. Oh, sure, especially if the child can't drive yet. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the, the father can uh, facilitate that, can uh, drive the child to the pastor, can uh, call. I've even had an, an adult, a parent, call me up and say, Pastor, can uh, my daughter or son come and, and uh, confess sins before? He said, sure. And, and then uh, the parent brought the, the child. Parents you know, what, st- stayed out in the waiting area while you know the confession went on, but uh, they brought the child. So, yeah, it can happen that way. I think one of the things we're guilty of and is, you know, the, the assumption that our children won't get it. They're too young. You know, this is something that they have their life to deal with. As they get older, we can teach them. Any, any pastor who knows and deals with children, young children, 
preschool age children knows that that there are times when you are just dumbfounded at how much they do get and and so to begin to teach them i think maybe uh, an answer if we're looking for an answer for a restoration of private confession in our church is, is to start with these children and teach them and show them the benefit of it okay here's what i did i was up at concordia theological seminary in fort wayne indiana teaching a bunch of confirmation kids at a confirmation retreat I, it was my job to teach them about confession and absolution. And I thought, you know what they need? They need to see it done. Yes. So uh, Pastor Ben Ball was there with his kids, and I asked him in the course of this. We went over to Kramer Chapel. We went up to the front to the altar rail, and I said, now look, I'm going to actually confess my sins to Pastor Ball. I'm not play-acting. We're not play-acting. We're going to do the real thing. The only difference here is I'm asking and, and allowing you to watch and listen. But we're not play-acting. I'm going to confess my sins. He's going to absolve me. I want you to see how easy and simple and normal this is for Christians. And that's what we did. Is that a good idea for the pastor perhaps to do this at some point with the kids of the congregation and say, look, this is how it works? Yes, I've done that with kids. I've done that with adults. Uh, I, I usually do the adult catechesis at Hope. And um, I've not had anybody step up and say, confess your sins literally. But I've walked them through the right. Yeah. And I've actually... Uh, sat in the place where I would sit and shown them where they would kneel at the rail and that, this sort of thing. So I actually walked through the rite with them uh, at that time. Uh, one time I had, uh, when I did it with uh, some children, uh, one young man did want to confess his sins, and it took me by surprise, and he actually confessed his sins, and he wasn't play-acting either. And all the uh, the other kids thought, oh, this is cute. They were giggling in the back, but then he actually confessed a sin, and they got quiet because they knew what that sin was, too. Well, it, you know, and isn't it interesting, Todd, that our children, you know, when we talk in our confessions about the sacraments, and we speak of two, sometimes three, as the verbiage is used, but our children grow up seeing the holy waters of baptism. They, they, they see that with their eyes. They hear it with their ears. They grow up seeing mom and dad receiving the body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. They see and they hear the verba. They, 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 but when it comes to private confession and absolution, if we're going to call it that sometimes third, or if we're going to call it a sacrament, they don't see it. They're not trained in it. And they grow up as adults, I believe, ignorant of the great benefit of this. Here's an email from Elaine in Canada, and our time does grow short. A brief response. Charlie, what if a person is in a situation that can't be fixed unless the other person cooperates and the other person does not cooperate? Should they still attend communion? The situation is not mine, writes Elaine, but I want some advice. A friend is living together for years with the other person, promises to get married, but doesn't follow through. This person needs assistance and help. So it is hard for this person to say goodbye. So it just goes on and on and on. They're basically just friends, but they're living together apart from the benefit of marriage. What do you deal with the situation where people are not repentant of an obvious situation like this? Well, uh, this gets to the office of the keys and uh, the binding key of uh, openly impenitent sinners uh, should be excluded uh, from the altar as long as they are impenitent. Now, uh, it doesn't say sinners should be excluded, otherwise we'd have to exclude ourselves and everybody in the pews. It doesn't say impenitent sinners should be excluded because the pastor cannot know which hearts are impenitent and which not. It says openly impenitent sinners. The 
situation most pastors run into these days with that would be people living together outside of marriage. Okay, one more email for you, Pastor Asbury, and the brief response. Paul in Ohio says, could you have your guest comment on the benefit of confession and absolution in addressing enslaving or habitual sins? These days, statistics demonstrate that men especially struggle with these sins, such as pornography, that they hide away from in secret shame and denial and self-justification. Confession brings the sin to light in God's truth, and absolution delivers forgiveness and sets the sinner free from it. About 30 seconds. The absolution also grants the healing medicine. It's, it's kind of like going to the doctor. Sometimes you go for uh, just one thing now and again, but other times you have acute problems that continue, and you have to see the doctor repeatedly over and over again, sometimes for the same symptoms. That's kind of what he's describing there. And yes, you just keep going back uh, for confession absolution because the absolution is the healing medicine. You know, we didn't get to the three abuses. We'll have to save that for another pastor's roundtable, maybe have you guys back in for a little extra time and deal with those. But I think we got to the heart of the matter here. Pastor Robert Niehaus is pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Oak Park, Illinois. Robert, thank you for being our guest. Thank you, my friend. Pastor Randy Asbury is pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in St. Louis. Randy, thank you. Thank you, and have a blessed Eastertide. And Pastor Charlie Henriksen is pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterra, Missouri. Charlie, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. And I should just mention, I wrote an article on private confession. If you go to steadfastlutherans.org and my blog there, you'll see that. And we'll try to get that link up on your issues, etc., website as well. We certainly will. You can go to our website tonight and find that link, issuesetc.org. Click On Demand. It is a treasure that Christ has left, an authority that he has left. They marveled that God had given such authority to men and that Jesus says to them, to demonstrate to you that the Son of Man has power to forgive, authority to forgive sins on earth. Well, he didn't take that authority with him when he ascended into heaven. He left that authority with his church, with its pastors, with the baptized, so that that treasure might always be ours, the forgiveness of sins that he has won for us at the cross. When we come back, hour two of Issues Etc., we'll start out talking about the crisis in mainline Christianity. Stay tuned. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Lutheran Public Radio, P.O. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 912, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.